Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Well, good morning, Harvest. My name is Eric, and I'm I'm one of the pastors here, and, and this morning... I invite you, if if you have them, to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 44, Isaiah chapter 44. And as you're doing that, the the past few weeks, we have been walking through uh, a series on the latter chapters of the book of Isaiah. And as we open our text this morning, I want to remind you that, that we are looking at a people who is experiencing exile. It would be appropriate to describe them as disoriented and deluded, meaning they don't really understand as much about themselves as they think they do. Do you think that could be true of you? That maybe you don't understand as much about yourself. Maybe you don't see things as clearly about yourself as you think. I think it's probably true for me. Well, Israel, Israel looks at their present position their bad estate, and they think their biggest problem is is their lowly estate. The Lord must have forgotten us, they say. But God looks at their circumstances and says, even if you were doing well, you would still be set on a life apart from God. And that doesn't produce the kind of flourishing that you think it does. And so the prophet Isaiah wants to wake us up from the deluded life by calling our attention to something that is foundational to the human experience. And I want to warn you that it might catch you off guard this morning because it might not be the problem you came here expecting to hear about. But I assure you, it's, it's a problem that's really, it's inescapable for us. It's a problem that we all have. We have a worship problem. We have a worship problem. So for anyone who has ears to hear, hear the word of God from the first 23 verses of Isaiah 44. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not. O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob and another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set before me. Set it before me, since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. 
Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. All who fashion idols are nothing. And the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a God or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame. And the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man, with the beauty of a man, to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars, or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak, and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar, and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha! I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They know not, nor do they discern. For he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire. I also break baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself. Or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing, O heavens. For the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. This is the word of the Lord. 
Now, you just heard this passage. You heard it. Now, there are two things that I hope that you see from this passage. And my prayer is that the Spirit will birth understanding in your heart. First, I want us to see the foolishness of idolatry. Second, I want us to see the Lord's response to foolish people. And so first, the the, the foolishness of idolatry. The foolishness of idolatry. Idolatry is a problem for any person with a pulse. And here's why. I don't know if you realize this about yourselves, but you were made to worship. You were made to give praise to something. You were made to give your allegiance to something. And it cannot be yourself. It can't. The human person was not designed to be self-sustaining. Every day, you need something outside of yourself to sustain you. Right? I mean, just think about this. If you sat in your room all day, what would happen? You'd get hungry. You'd get thirsty. You'd get tired. You are not self-sustaining. It's by design. You were made that way. But our reality is that we live in an angry, contentious, sin-filled world where people don't always live as they ought, meaning human flourishing, our desire for justice and righteousness, which we, we all want. We all want these things. It's not guaranteed. These things aren't guaranteed. So in an angry, fearful world, where will you turn to? What will you give your trust to? What will get your praise? This language of ultimate trust and praise, the Bible calls this worship. And the biblical authors are clear. You were made to worship. I mean, just consider the passage we we read last week in in Isaiah chapter 43. In Isaiah 43, 21, the Lord is saying that the created things will give him his due glory. And when speaking of his people Israel, he says that he nourishes them. The people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. The people who I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. This is the Lord saying, you were made to give praise in general. But more specifically, you were made for him. People are made to live in a covenant relationship with their creator. Think about this. The God who made you says, I intended for you to live in relationship with me. Do you realize how incredible that is? I mean, just think of the most powerful person in the world. I wonder if we thought of the same person. Just the most powerful person you can think of. That person, I was thinking something different. That, that person with all their majesty and power and prestige, they would not even be worthy to be in the same room as the Lord our God. 
the radiance of his glory would be too much for them. It would overwhelm them. And here we have this same God saying, I made you for myself. You were made to worship. The, the scripture passage that we had read this morning in Romans 1, it, is, it, it speaks to this reality. It says, it says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Why? Because they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And then in verse 25, it says, they exchanged the truth, the truth about God for a lie. And what did they do? They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. You see, it's not if you worship. Either you will worship the creator or you will devote yourself to created things. It's not if you worship. It's what do you worship? Are you aware of this about yourself? Do you you know this about yourself? Do you see these things happening? And if you don't, it's okay. Just admitting that maybe I don't know myself as as well as I think I do. And again, in our angry, fearful world, doesn't it make sense that we would have disordered worship? Doesn't it make sense that that we would get our worship wrong with a sin-filled world? Wouldn't you expect it? But it's even worse than that. That makes it seem like it's at least possible for us to get our worship right. But Isaiah has shown us that we are incapable of worshiping the Lord. We're incapable of it. When I was in college, I spent some time overseas in Southeast Asia. And when I would talk with university students there about Jesus, I would often get a response of, you know, Christianity, it sounds nice. But really, it's, it's a Western idea. It's a, it's a Western idea. It won't work here. Which surprised me because Christianity is not a Western idea. I mean, at least it didn't start in the West. And then as, as I went back to the States and, and discussions circulating around Christianity, I started to hear more and more over the years of people saying, oh, Christianity, it doesn't really work for me. That's the white man's religion. See, in, in, in the West, we, we're, not so, we, we're individualistic. So we think, you know, I'm not going to speak for everybody, but it doesn't work for me. That's for, some, that's for a different group of people. Which again, like the, the white man's religion, it, it, it caught me off guard. It's surprising to me because, I mean, you, you were living proof of this, that, that there, there have been many Christians throughout the history of the church who are non-white. So how can that be? And then when... Uh, Look at the rise of the new atheism movement coming out of the West. People who reject the idea that there's any God at all. Let me put this picture on the screen. See a bunch of white men. These these are the guys who uh, are supposed to be, this is who Christianity is for. So so Christianity is not for people in the East. It's not for people in the West. It's not not for the the white men. They're embracing atheism. And the point is, the point is we all reject God. We all turn away from him. But but turning away from our creator does not mean that we don't worship. 
No, no, no. We, we, we all turn to other sources for comfort, for wisdom, for purpose. Our problem is not only that we worship the wrong things, but also that we are completely incapable of right worship at all. We constantly give our allegiance to lesser things in place of God to satisfy desires in our hearts that only God can quench. But I must tell you, our problem is even worse than that. If we all were made to worship, but we all fail to give our allegiance to our creator, then what do we worship? And not only that, what kind of effect is that having on us? How is that false worship forming us? Isaiah 44.20 speaks to this sobering reality. It says of the person who is lacking understanding, he feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? Our idolatry does not leave us in a state of neutrality, but it's actually discipling us. Do you know what it means to have a deluded heart? It means that you are deceived. And if you deceive someone, you are intentionally leading them to believe a lie, to live a lie. And Isaiah is saying your false worship, your rejection of God is a sin against him and yourself because you deceive yourself. Your mind is becoming darkened. You're, you are becoming hard-hearted. You see, worship is a matter of exclusivity. It's a matter of exclusivity. God is a generous God. He's a compassionate God. He is a merciful God. He's also a jealous God. And he says of his beloved, I will not share you with any other. You are mine and belong to no one else. Do you see? What we worship is of such paramount importance to God because he knows the human condition. He knows that we become like what we worship. We become like what we worship. Do you ever consider who you're becoming? I mean, surely you're not the same person you were five years ago. You're probably not even the same person you were one year ago. So what is driving you? What is feeding you? That, that will give you a window into who you're becoming. But have you embraced who God has called you to be? You were made in the image of God to reflect his nature and character and worth to the world around you. To give testimony to the goodness of God. Is that what your life is about? They say that broken clocks still give you the right time twice a day, right? Out of like 84,000 seconds twice, and it's not very good. They say that broken escalators are still functionally stairs, but ultimately neither fulfill their intended purpose. They betray their design. We are but a shadow of what we are meant to be. And we tell a false story about who God is all the time, all the time. 
Isaiah is saying to us that we are becoming like what we worship. We always think that we are in total control, but what we worship will eventually control us. It will form us into its own image. This is why the prophet keeps using language of of eyes and ears and hearts. Have you noticed this? Have Have you picked up on this yet? Let me give you an example of, of a few examples of what I mean here. He says in, in, our, in our passage this morning, in verse 18, they know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand. And then in Isaiah 42, 18, he says, hear you deaf and look you blind, that you may see who is blind but my servant or deaf as my messenger whom I send. He sees many things, but does not observe them. Meaning he's not physically blind, right? He sees many things, but does not observe them. His ears are open. He's not physically deaf, but he does not hear. He's saying, you're becoming like what you worship. What's he talking about? He's poking at the rampant idolatry of his people. God is saying these so-called gods that you carved with your own hands, why do you keep running to them? Don't you see what this is doing to you? They're in the same room as you, but they can't hear your cries for help. You bow before them, but they can't even see your reverence. Listen, you have become as lifeless as the idols you worship. It's made you less than human. You you can't hear. You can't see. You lack understanding. Except you think you have total control. You are blind. Our false worship is eroding our hearts. You know, I don't don't know if this is true here, but go with me here. You you know how in your teenage years and maybe into your 20s, you, you... you kind of think you're invincible. Is that true? Have any of you experienced this? Yes, no, maybe. Uh, maybe you've encountered those teenagers and 20-somethings who are like this. They think they're invincible, uh, but, but you're not. Um, you, so, so you think you can do anything? So, so you eat whatever you want because you think it doesn't matter. You, you, you uh, make questionable decisions that you, you'll look back on a decade later thinking, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. And everybody else around you is like, man, what an idiot, you know? But really, and, and, and those who have, who have aged beyond this life stage know what you're really doing is you're exposing your body and mind to things that are shaping you. You think in the moment, this, this won't matter. It doesn't matter. But you are training the inclinations of your heart. You are feeding the real desires that are in you with junk. And years later, you're thinking, why do I, why do I desire junk? Why do you think? I know of guys who spent their teenage years watching tons of crude movies, and they say they regret it now because those references are deeply embedded in their imagination. I know of guys who dove deep into pornography who now feel trapped because images will creep into their minds uninvited. I think these, these things aren't 
having any kind of effect on me, but they are. You see, at some point, what began as willful choice became crippling need. I can turns into I must. And I must becomes I can't live without. Have you ever paid attention to the ice cream sizes at a Cold Stone Creamery? Can we put, can we put this up? You see that? They, they understand the human heart. They, they get the human heart. The cherry on top for all of our foolishness is that we, we choose the more difficult path. I mean, verses 12 through 17 highlight this point. Those who craft idols become hungry and their strength fails. They become faint. They become deluded. The source of their God is weak. It needs rain to sustain it. In verse 15, what supplies them fire for warmth and nourishment is also used to be their God. Crafting your God is hard work. And it only serves to highlight how much easier, how much more accessible the Lord makes himself and the real strength he shows in bringing us salvation. Most people don't even realize how lifeless they have become. We are dead in our sin. But if you are becoming open to the reality of your own deadness, then maybe you're becoming ready to hear the good news. Maybe the spirit is at work in you. Maybe he's stirring something in you this morning. And I pray that you will receive it. What hope do dead people have? Nothing short of resurrection. And we have a God who saves in that way. He raises the dead to life. And this brings us to the second thing that I want us to see from our text this morning. The second thing, the Lord's response to foolish people. How does God respond to foolish idolaters like us? People who have been put to shame. Here's what he does. He redeems us. He redeems us. And here's how he does it. First, we see from our passage, he calls us by a new name. Verse 2 says, thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. You see, throughout the latter chapters of Isaiah, God refers to his people as Israel or as Jacob, and he'll continue to do this. But here he uses a special name, a name that is rarely, if ever, used to refer to his people at all. Knowing, knowing what we know about Israel it would be appropriate for us to ask, is God being hyperbolic here? Is he like a parent who over-exaggerates their own child's accomplishments? You see, the name Jacob is fitting. Jacob means deceiver. And it's an honest depiction of Israel's history. What name are you living under this morning? What sins have come to define you? But Jeshurun, Jeshurun means upright one. Jeshurun means righteous one, which hasn't been characteristic of Israel. So the Lord is saying the deceiver will be called righteous. How can that be? This would be nothing short of a miracle because it would require a total transformation of the person. 
Deceivers would need to give up their deceptive ways and embrace a totally new way of life. But deluded people can't do that. Remember, deluded people can't even see the lie in their right hand. So how do they do it? How do they live the righteous life? Well, verse 3 tells us, it says, I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. He pours his spirit upon us. The Lord gives us his spirit. No one is righteous before God. No one is able to worship God on their own. So the Lord pours out his spirit to enable people to do what they could never do on their own. John Oswald, commentator, theologian, says, the only way to transform proud, self-centered people into those who will gladly find their central identity and their surrender to their Father is nothing short of the Spirit of God being given to them. Nothing short of the Spirit of God being given to them, meaning we don't leverage ourselves into a better standing with God. We are dead. Dead people are dead. Now, we are lifted up to new life only by the Spirit of God being poured out upon us. That's how our life happens. And get this, Lee, Lee mentioned last week that we no longer have to let our past sins and failures define us. We're afraid that God will hold us to account. But he's showing us here in verse three that not only will he wipe away every sin, but in him you will have a future of blessing that goes beyond your days. He will pour out his spirit to your offspring, to your descendants. You never have to worry about the grace of God running out. The grace of God is so abundant that it will flow through the, to the end of time. That's how abundant God's grace is. It just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. It never runs dry. So three, he makes us his witnesses. He calls us by a new name. He pours his spirit upon us. He makes us his witnesses. What does this mean? Verse eight says, fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. You are my witnesses. You will be living proof of the life-giving power of God, raising the dead to life. This, this fact I find to be utterly astounding. The, the Lord looks at us with absolute clarity about who we really are. We can't hide ourselves from him. We can't hide the shameful things about ourselves from him. He looks at the blind, the deaf, the undiscerning, this is what he sees in us. And he doesn't turn away. He says, I'm going to stake my claims to Godhood on you. You lifeless people, I'm going to show you, through you, I will show people who I really am. You will be my witness. You will be a witness to who I am. This is what God is saying. In our delusion, we think God is unable or unwilling to help us. But he says to us, you will see just how high. I can lift up the brokenhearted. We are more sinful than we even know. But you have no idea just how strong our God is. God doesn't say, do this 
Do these things and you will be my witnesses. Go and do these things and this is how you'll be my witnesses. He's saying dead people who've been made alive, they quiet themselves before the Lord. They give glory to the Lord. Their total trust and allegiance is to the Lord. Their praise and adoration is unto the Lord. They call out to him. They fellowship with him. They depend on him. They give their thanks to him. They do this out of the overflow of their own experience of the transforming work of God in their lives. Do you know that God is at work in you? God is alive in you? Think about that. Last month, I I was listening to a a podcast where a university professor from the the United States was sharing her faith story, her her story of coming to faith. And, And her story resonated so deeply because it it just broke down all, all sorts of categories for me. As I listened, I kept thinking, that's not how I thought that would go. That's not how I thought you would have reacted there. And in my experience, people with stories like hers, they don't, they don't ex- express faith in Jesus. You probably know people like this. You can probably think of people right now who you think, there's just no, these people, they just don't come to faith. They don't profess faith in Jesus. Well, she, she's in that bill for me. She's in that category for me. People like her, they don't, they don't come to faith. And she's sharing how she's coming to faith. And, and in her testimony, she describes her encounter with people who have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and I'm not talking about Pentecostals here, okay? I'm just, I'm just talking about uh, people who've been filled with the Spirit. Like, like any, any average Christian experiences the, the Spirit bringing us to life. And she was just completely unsure of that work in herself. She's like, I just don't, I just don't feel it. I'm just not sure. But, but as, as she continues to tell her story, and as I'm listening, I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. She, she's alive. She's alive. The spirit is alive in her. God has brought her. It just, it just leaps out of the audio. Just like, oh, my God. She's alive. Like the spirit of God is doing something in her and she doesn't even fully understand it. It's amazing. It's incredible. She's alive. It's unlike anything in this world. And the Lord is doing that in you. He's saying, you are my witnesses. Out of the overflow of your own experience of what Christ is doing in you, of Christ coming in you, the Spirit raising you to life, you are bearing witness to the life-giving power of God. He's doing this in you. And then finally, verse 22 says, I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. It's our final point here. He blots out our transgressions. He blots out our transgressions. To God, your sins will be like a cloud, like a mist. They will melt away. They won't even warrant a footnote in the course of human history. They will be like a vapor in comparison to the glory revealed through the cross of Jesus. Jesus, the servant who suffered at the cross to raise the dead to life. And you will be inclined to ask, he did this for me? Is this not too wonderful? 
And the Lord will say, nothing is too wonderful for me because of my servant, Jesus. Look to him. You haven't even begun to see just how wonderful are the things I will do for you in Christ. And he will put the words of a new song in your mouth. And we will say, worthy, worthy, worthy is our Savior. God takes lifeless people who have thrown their lives away, and he promises them resurrection. He raises the dead to life. No subtle improvements. No quick fixes for a better life. No, he will make you into who you were always meant to be. Nothing in this life can offer you that. And so I tell you, church, this morning, Jesus is better than life. We invite you to continue worshiping him this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it, it, it doesn't make sense just how, how good you have been to us and how devoted you are to your people. God, you are a God of resurrection. You are a God who, who brings deadness and you make it life. Total transformation. You change. You change us. God, I pray that you continue to change us. If there's anybody in this room this morning who has not experienced this life change before, God, I pray that you would awaken them to, to, to give them ears to hear, give them eyes to see. God, birth faith in their hearts this morning. Would you strengthen us, God? That when we worship you, we become like you. We're becoming like you, God. I pray that we would desire that more than life itself. God, be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.